But if you would follow along um, as I read out loud for us these words from the book of Romans, Romans 5, 1 through 5. God's word says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. This is the word of God. Thanks be to him. Let's pray. Father, I ask and pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts in here would be pleasing in your sight. Father, we know that that can only happen if you, through your grace and the Holy Spirit. So we pray that he would be ministering here in this place tonight. We ask it and pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for standing. You guys go ahead and be seated. All right, y'all. We shift the spotlights again tonight. That's kind of been the, the metaphor I've had on my head, that each week we read this passage and we've got a spotlight shining on a key Advent word. Two weeks ago it was peace. Last week it was joy, and this week we moved the spotlight a little deeper into the passage, and we find ourselves looking at hope. But you knew that already. We've uh, we've hit you with a lot of hope so far in this sermon. We lit the hope candle. We've got it on the bulletin. It was you know up here before I read the text for the title of the sermon. So it probably didn't blindside you that today was going to be a sermon all about hope. Um, but hopefully that's okay with you guys. It's a needed, hopefully, oh man, I did not do that on purpose, seriously, my best kind of puns and sermons have always been something I'm oblivious to until afterwards, so that one, that one is like that as well. Um, I will say this, I was very excited about this particular sermon, but not necessarily for a noble reason. Um. I knew a few weeks ago that I had some, I had some previous work that I could sort of use to help me get ahead of the game when it came to like preparing and studying for the sermon. So a few years back, some of you guys might remember this. I'd be surprised if you do, but like going back to 2015, I think it was, um, I preached a sermon the week before Christmas that was all about hope. And I used as my text Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but uh, a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And so I, I preached on hope out of the Proverbs then. And, and this week I, I was remembering that. I was like, oh, good. I've already done a lot of work. Therefore, I can, you know, really sort of be ahead of the curve when it comes to my sermon prep. It's going to be smooth sailing this week. Well, it didn't work out that way, um, partly because um, my hard drive crashed a few years ago, and I didn't realize that I lost all those sermon notes from the past. But I'll, I'll be honest with you, 
the truth is that every time that I have a thought like that about like, oh, I've preached on this before, or I've been in this passage before, I look back at what I'd written years ago, or sometimes even months ago, and what I always find is that I am not okay with just sort of recycling ideas from before. And the reason why is because God's word is living and active and it is constantly speaking in new, fresh ways to where we're at. And so I think the whole reason I wanted to bring this up with you to start tonight is to say that even, even if, we, we, if I did a sermon on hope from Romans chapter 5, like from four years ago, chances are I'd want to come and, and study it afresh with you in, on December 12th, 2021 to see the new things that God might be pressing into our understanding. The new ways in which our circumstances and our experiences and sometimes even our maturity are allowing us to see it with fresh eyes. Not meaning that the, that the content entirely changes. God's word is God's word. It doesn't transform. And yet the ways in which we apply it, the, the, the focuses that we give to it, sense, the taste of the text, all of those things, we need to be returning to afresh over and over and over again. And so all that to say, I came looking at hope, especially the hope that we have at Christmas with fresh eyes this week, and I'm really glad that I did, because this particular passage has a lot to say about the part that hope plays in the life of the believer. In fact, uh, of all the Advent themes that we've seen in Romans 5, 1 through 5, we've looked at peace and joy. We're going to look at love next week. But of all of those, hope is the one that shows up the most. You, you probably noticed that as we read through it. The word's repeated a lot in the text. It shows up in verse 2. It shows up in verse 4. It shows up in verse 5. In fact, in my study this week, what I learned is that... Um, this is sort of the beginning of a, a section of Romans, a, a chapters 5 through 8, that commentators say if you had to choose one word that sort of defines what those next three chapters are all about, the word you would choose would be hope. And this sort of begins the ball rolling on that. So R Romans 5, these first five verses of it have a lot to teach us about hope. And I thought what I could do here at the beginning is just sort of do a quick rundown of three different things that this little bit of text teaches us about the part that hope plays in a believer's life. So, um, Hannah, go ahead and go to the next slide if you would. So forgive me, there's a typo in this. I noticed it this morning up in paradise and then I forgot to change it. Um, it says what we hope is for, that doesn't make any sense. So get rid of the we, the second word, and pretend it says, what hope is for? Ah, that's a lot better, isn't it? What hope is for? The glory of God. It's verse 2 of your text that we read tonight. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And then here's the phrase that's important. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The hope you have as a Christian is standing in the presence of God in all of his glory, being transformed by that. Uh, even as a child of God, getting to share in that, as we discussed a little bit last week, 
that is your ultimate hope. And so even though there are many things in your life as a follower of Jesus that you might hope for or long for, all of them fall under the much greater and more important umbrella of your final hope, standing in the presence of God's glory and being transformed by it. Sometimes I think, especially at Christmas, the words that we associate with Advent kind of take on a life of their own. Joy, peace, hope, and we never define sort of the object, what we actually hope in or hope for. And those things sort of become like virtues in themselves, just to hope. To hope in what? I don't know, I'm just hoping. The Bible makes it very clear that there is an object of your hope. You aren't just hoping in some ambiguous, vague way. You are hoping in the glory of God able to experience that in all its fullness on the last day so that's the first thing this text teaches us about hope but then it also tells us this uh, a little bit of a a recap for last week the next piece hannah up there on the screen um, how it tells us how hope grows so look at verse four this is a portion of our text from last time but we didn't really get to focus on this element verse four says this endurance produces character And character produces hope. Actually, let me back up the very end of verse 3. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. The suffering and the affliction that we experience in life actually cause our hope to be strengthened, to grow, to develop. And uh, the analogy that I came across this week as I was reading is, is hope is like a muscle that we have to exercise. It's like, you you know, doing curls on your bicep. And by this motion, you're probably realizing I've never done that before in my life. (laughs) But I've seen it on movies and cable television. And it appears that what happens there is that you're tearing down the muscle in your arm so that when it builds back, it builds back stronger and tougher. And in the same way, the suffering and the affliction that we experience in life, God can use that to actually hone and sharpen our hope so that our hope doesn't just plateau or even worse, it doesn't atrophy and get smaller and weaker, but rather through suffering, through hardship, it grows stronger. It's not the only thing in life that can cause hope to do that, but at least in our text, like we saw last week and this week, It's one of the main things God uses to make our hope strong. Finally, the last thing that we learn from this text about hope is we learn what hope never does. Hope never, ever, ever disappoints. I'm getting this in the text from verse 5, the last verse we read that says, and hope does not put us to shame. If you are hoping in the glory of God, if you are hoping in God's fulfillment of his promises, you will not be disappointed by that. You have not bet on a long shot that has hardly any chance of coming You have not done something foolish. 
No, you have put your trust and your hope on something that is guaranteed and certain. And your hope will not disappoint you. Or actually, more accurately, I should say, the God that you've put your hope in will not disappoint you. It's actually this last piece that's going to be the key thing for us today. Because of all of these things that we see about hope in Romans 5 here, it's the final one that I think kind of links together with the hope of Christmas uh, most clearly. And that, that's what we're doing here. We're doing this kind of hybrid Advent sermon series of, of looking at Romans 5, but also seeing these pieces that are such a big themes at Christmas time. And it's this last piece that's going to help us sort of get into the Christmas story a little bit. Because I think what you, you see when you read the Gospel of Luke, when you read the uh, sort of shorter version of the Christmas story in Matthew, you see bunches of people that are around when Jesus is born. They're sort of on the edges as Jesus comes into the world. And what you see in the details of their story is that they are a people that are slowly but surely beginning to realize that God keeps his promises. And that the hope that they've been clinging to, the, the, the trust in God that they've been desperately holding on to has not been in vain. So, let me show you that in a little bit of the Christmas story. Um, one of the things that we've done the last few weeks when we've focused on joy, peace, the other Advent themes, is we've asked the question, why do we make such a big deal of these things at Christmas? Why, why, do, we, why do we sing so much about joy, or why do we talk so much about peace? And what we've done has been very simple. I've just thrown up on the screen for you guys some verses, very Christmassy verses, that say directly the words we're talking about. Peace, joy. And I say, see, there it is in the Bible that this is all about Christmas joy. That's the reason that we have. But this week with hope, it's not that simple. Because you could read through the Christmas story you could go through it with a fine-tooth comb, and you're not really going to see the word hope show up in that much direct sort of highlighted detail as we do with words like peace or joy. It's just not there in the same way. So what you have to do is you actually have to look sort of between the lines, and you sort of have to be able to pick up a little bit on the details of the context, the environment of of the world that Jesus was born into and what people were kind of wrestling with in their heart when Jesus arrives. So I actually backed up a little bit this week in my study. Instead of going right to Luke 2 where Jesus is born, I started in Luke chapter 1 and I read the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Do you guys know who that is? Who, who, who were they the parents of? John the Baptist. Correct. So... Zechariah is doing his priestly duties at the time, and the angel Gabriel shows up to him just like he does later to the Virgin Mary. Uh, Zechariah doesn't respond quite as well as Mary did, though. It's not terrible, but uh, he doesn't have quite as much belief and faith, and so as a result, Zechariah, what happens to him? Yeah, he's not able to speak. He becomes mute, and pretty much the entire duration of this uh, 
pregnancy that his wife has with John the Baptist, he's not able to say anything. But when John is born into the world, Zechariah, he's able to speak again, and he burst out into song because he's realizing that with the birth of his son John, the Lord is setting into motion the events that would bring the Messiah into the world. Like Zechariah had been told by the angel, your son will prepare the way for the Messiah. And so here's what Zechariah says. I've got it up here on the screen for you. It's this top verse, Luke 1, 68 through 70. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old. A.K.A. God has kept his promises. And we weren't foolish to hope in him. So, that's Zechariah's story or his response. Let's go now a little bit later, the end of Luke 2. We see another character that's kind of on the periphery of the Christmas story. It's a guy that Pastor Brian preached about last year. His name's Simeon. He's a, a faithful follower of the Lord in Jerusalem. And we're told that Simeon, you've got it right up here on the screen. He was a man that was righteous and devout. And here's the key, waiting for the consolation of Israel. This was a man who was actively looking, hoping, waiting to see God fulfill the promises that he had made to his people Israel. And we're given the impression that he was an older man at this point in his life. So he spent his entire life waiting for the consolation of God's people. And when he sees Jesus, when Jesus is taken after his birth to be dedicated at the temple, this is what he says. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. I'm sharing these snippets of these two guys' story with you because I want you to realize what the environment was that Jesus was born into. It was an environment where people like this were heavy with hope. A, a hope that was, in many cases, weary and long-suffering. Not only they had lived their entire lives waiting and hoping and yearning for God's fulfillment of his promises, but they knew that their ancestors, their grandfather, their great-grandfather, their great-great-grandmother, and on and on and on had all been breathlessly waiting for God to show up in the way that he had promised. And when Jesus arrives, he arrives as the fulfillment of this hope that had been being hung on to for generations. That song we sang earlier tonight, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, you know, that was a song that was written well after these events, and yet it's a song that's trying to sort of capture that emotion of the people of Israel, that sense of waiting and longing and just, Lord, how long will we be here? That's the environment that Jesus comes into. And so to kind of reuse a phrase I've used the last few weeks, I'll say this. The reason we make such a big deal about hope during the Advent season is because the Bible makes it abundantly clear that when Jesus arrives, he arrives as the fulfillment 
of the hope of Israel, a hope that had been being held onto for hundreds, hundreds, maybe even I could go as far as a thousand years. That's why we make such a big deal of hope. And that's actually also the reason why we are honing in so much on that last little bit that I told you earlier was going to be our focus tonight about the passage in Romans 5 that tells us that hope does not disappoint. I believe that Paul is able to say that hope will not put us to shame because he is a man that knows full well the ramifications of Christmas. He realizes that when Jesus comes into the world, the babe born into the manger in Bethlehem, what it means is that we now have definitive proof that God keeps his promises and that those who hope in him do not hope in vain. And Paul takes that a step further and says, if we have that proof now in Jesus, then it means that I can be a person that hopes in God's future promises without the fear that they might not come true. Jesus' arrival at Christmas acts almost like a down payment, like a guarantee, like a certainty that God is going to come through on his promises in the future. So to use the language of the scripture we had before, I can hope in the glory of God and don't have to be afraid that maybe that's a non-starter, that will never come to pass. No, I can be confident that it will because I know that Jesus showed up at just the right time when a nation's hope was weary and faltering and God said, I'm going to keep my promise. And if he kept his promise before, he will do it again. And therefore, I can with confidence say, those who hope in him will never be put to shame. Now, the passage that we read tonight, um, those of you discerning readers might be saying, Josh, that's not the reason that the passage gave for confidence and hope. You know, what it said is hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. It doesn't say anything about the Christmas story, though. It's true. Um, I'll fill you in. The, the, the reason that I'm not talking as much about that continuation of the phrase, about the love of God being poured into our hearts, well, it's kind of simple. Um, that's Brian's passage next week. And I don't want to steal the awesome thoughts that he's got already. Brian's going to finish off our series here with the final candle, love, and I, so I don't want to step on his toes. going to leave that part for Brian. He'll pick up on that. But also, guys, I, even though we don't have this explicit discussion of the Christmas story in the verses that we read, I hope you realize that none of this talk about hope makes sense without the Christmas story. There, there would be no confidence in saying those who hope will never be put to shame if we didn't have the events in Bethlehem all those years ago. 
without the manger, without the angels, without the shepherd, without Emmanuel, God with us, born into the world, what basis would we have to say, hey, God's going to come through on his promises. Those who hope in him will never be disappointed. We could still say that. In fact, there are people in the world today who still say that. I'm referring to Orthodox Jews that are still awaiting the Messiah. And yet, I don't believe you could say that with much confidence. You certainly could not say it in the way that we say it as Christians, of saying, I know that my hope will not disappoint because Jesus, Jesus arrived and fulfilled the hope of Israel. And if he did that, if he kept his promise, then he will certainly do so now. That's the only way that you can speak about hope in the way that Paul does here in Romans chapter 5 with confidence and certainty. It's only if God has kept his promise already and that we use that as a foundation for going forward. So what that means is that you guys, if you're believers in Jesus, following him, when you are celebrating Christmas, what you are doing is you have a yearly annual cycle where you get the chance to celebrate the evidence that God keeps his promises. That's what you're doing. You're singing Christmas carols, you're, you're drinking eggnog, you're listening to music that objectively we'd probably say is terrible, but since it's Christmas music, we're like, I love this song. The Mariah Carey song, anybody? Oh, sorry, people are about to storm out of here. Heard some booze. You're wearing ugly Christmas sweaters. And what you are doing, you don't realize it, but what you are doing when that is taking place is that you are celebrating the proof that your hope is not in vain. That your God keeps his promises. And if somebody says, how do you know? You say, because showed up in person in Bethlehem and at just the right time just the right moment the weary world rejoiced at his coming and if he did that before he's going to do it again oddly enough Christmas it's a it's a celebration each year that looks to the past but equally looks to the future. And I'm not sure if we always realize that. Sometimes we, we tell ourselves that all we're doing when we talk or sing or celebrate Christmas is commemorating something that happened a long time ago. But it's more than that. Because of what happened a long time ago, we have confidence to look towards what God is going to do down the road and say, he's not going to fail us or let us down. He's going to keep his promise. There's a day when he's returning. And unlike coming in humility as a babe born into the manger, he's returning in glory and power. And that my hope in that is not foolish. My hope in that is not betting on a long shot. My hope in that is certain. Because 
I know Christ came the first time, and he will certainly come again. So this Christmas, as you're at your Christmas party, as you're drinking your eggnog, responsibly, in moderation, know that you are looking to the future as much as you're looking back to the past. And that's what the hope of Christmas is about. Let me pray for us, and then we'll end our time together in another song of praise. Let's pray. Father God, I pray the words of your scripture would continue to echo in our hearts and our minds as we carry on with our day, as we leave here, as we carry on with our week. Let these words of hope remain with us. God, let us be a people who, yes, have an eye towards what you've done in the past, but see the implications of that for the future. We would be a people that cling fast to hope and don't let go, knowing that those who hope in you are never put to shame. Lord, we ask it and pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand up. We'll sing one more. Lauren puts eggnog in her coffee. Kind of weird. I think that's kind of weird, but we don't spike our eggnog. I don't know. I don't know what Josh does at his house. So.